So one of the reasons why we wanted to actually try to break up uh, this passage and the one after it where we read about uh, Philip and Ethiopian eunuch is because each one of these really tells a different aspect of, of one larger story. And to try to fit them all together and say everything that, and point out everything that's in there and, and, and talk about it, it just would be too much, I think. And so it's, it's better if we can stop and break each one of these down and look at each interaction um, that we have uh, by itself. So, uh, so this week, uh, we look here at, at Simon the Magician and, uh, and the theme that you're going to start seeing, that you're starting to see here again come back out, is this idea of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is what empowers everybody to do what they do. One of the things in Acts that you're probably going to get sick of in this series is pastor analogies about the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, as you, as you read these accounts and as you think about what it was like for these people, you keep going back to thinking, what, was, what would it have been like? to try to tell someone about Jesus, about the gospel, about the good news without the help of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and how, because you see how much it empowered what it was that they did. Um, it, it makes me think about times where you just have these like things that totally change and make everything easier. I honestly, when I think about what that is like for me, I think back to when I got my first car. Because for those of you who are younger and you got your first car recently, or those of you who remember back when that was, what that was like, there is no, there's a huge difference between having your own car and not having your own car. I mean, it is a big difference to also just get your license and get to drive your parents' car and not even have your license. But when you have your own car, and man, we all, we were talking around the office this week and we had some pretty, pretty janky, beat up old cars, but they were our first cars. I had a, I had a Suzuki Samurai that I totaled on the first day that I got it. Ellie's dad gave it to me uh, and he said, don't drive my daughter in this, it's not safe. So I said, oh, okay. Um, obviously not trying to kill me or anything. And then I totaled it and then I, uh, I got another car that I saved up for and it was a brown hatchback Mazda 626 and it was glorious. And my life before this car and my life after this car were two completely different lives. Going to work, going to school, uh, going out with my friends, being able to do anything, everything completely changed when I got a car because all of a sudden things that were so difficult and so impossible to do that took so much planning and so much begging and so much getting other people together to help me out, it all just changed to be easy to do because I could get in my car and I could just drive there myself. I could go there myself. I remember sometimes just sitting thinking like, where can I go in, my, in this car? What can I do? Because the possibilities are endless, right? And then I learned about how much gas costs and, um, and I stopped driving everywhere. But it, it's, it's, it's similar to um, these things that you have in your life that basically open up the doors for all of the opportunity that you really wanted. And when you, when you look at the Holy Spirit in Acts, that's really what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers uh, the apostles so that when they go out and they preach the gospel, they're not just one in a crowd of many who are talking about what's true and what's real. They are the guys with the power to do the miraculous things that show people this person really is from God. We read here um, in this passage about uh, the ministry of, uh, of, of Philip. And, uh, and as Philip is going around proclaiming Christ in all of Samaria, he runs into this guy, Simon the Magician. Now, 
Simon the, Simon the Magician is like such an incredible character in the New Testament, really. I mean, his name is Simon the Magician, right? So honestly, I don't think that it's exaggerating to say that if you want to think of what this guy was like, think about somebody today with a brand, right? This is a very big deal today. You, when you want to, it's possible to start a business or start at least earning income by developing a brand for yourself even if you don't do much. Uh, you can do that. You can use social media, you can use like connections with other people, and you can just become a brand. Your name can become bigger than just you. And next thing you know, you know, you see it on Instagram, you see it on Facebook, you see it on other stuff. People can, like, they, they give you stuff and you can promote it, they give you money. Then right now is the era of being famous for doing nothing and without actually doing something. Famous simply because you're famous. Um, and, and so Simon was a magician, and what that means is that he would use things like astrology, fortune-telling. He would use these kinds of skills, and he would use them in such a way that it made people believe that this guy uh, was a prophet. In fact, when it says here, uh, in, in the beginning of this passage about Simon, uh, in verse 9, it says, saying that he himself was somebody great. It says there was a man named Simon. He, he had previously practiced magic in the city. And it says he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. That language, he being somebody great, those, that term somebody great, that is actually exactly what is said several chapters ago when, the, uh, when uh, Gamaliel is talking about um, about the apostles and about, uh, you, you, do you remember back when, um, when the apostles are preaching and the Pharisees get together and, and he, says, he says, listen guys, do you, remember, do you remember those guys who came and they made a big deal and they made their name great and everybody thought they were a big deal, they had followers and then what happened, right? They died, they faded away into, into, into nothingness, right? So if this is of God, then we don't wanna be in its way because it'll last and if it's not of God, it'll fail. He was specifically talking about guys like Simon the Magician. Simon the Magician is one of those kinds of people. He is someone who shows up on the scene and is proclaiming something having to do with the Jewish God. He's, he's saying something to gain followers. And so he's not, he's, he's not just a magician for the sake of being a magician, but Simon the Magician is like, a, is like a name, okay? So this is, this is what Simon probably would look like, okay? So this is him, this is Simon the Magician, and he's, uh, he goes out and he does, he does his astrology, he does his fortune telling, he does his astrological readings, and he does all this stuff, and then he talks about God, he talks about some things having to do with the Hebrew faith, and, and people are amazed at him, and they think he's great. And they say, this guy knows what he's talking about, so he had people following him. So Simon the Magician is, is out there to basically make himself known. In fact, in, 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 in the way these people talk uh, in the Jewish community, uh, these guys were known as people who, they weren't out, at, they weren't out there to, to get God's name uh, to be proclaimed. They, they weren't interested in uh, glorifying and magnifying um, Yahweh. They weren't interested in seeing more people come to the Jewish faith. Not really. What everybody kind of knew about these guys was these guys were in it for themselves, right? This was all about Simon the Magician and how great his name is and making a place for himself in history and in the world and getting followers as he did that. That's how they saw guys like this. And so, so Simon uh, comes 
and he asks for the most unusual thing ever, right? He says, uh, after he, he, is, he is persuaded um, by Philip, he, and, and, and what's interesting, what's really incredible about this passage is if there's any part of us that thinks, well, the only reason anybody ever believed in these guys was because of the great, powerful, amazing things that they did, right? Because isn't that what they did? They did all this crazy stuff. Well, what we see here is that Simon comes to believe Peter simply because of the words that he preaches, right? We read that Peter preaches to him. It says uh, in verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he was continued with Philip. After seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So he started out by believing because he heard the gospel message and he was like, I, see, I hear something in this that is convincing. And then he comes to believe, Simon, the magician, the man who's in it for himself, the man who's all about making his own name great and essentially is competing with the gospel. He's competing with his own message and his own group of people and his own agenda, right? He becomes a Christian. That's awesome. He becomes baptized. He begins to follow Philip. And then what we read about is, uh, is the other apostles coming and laying their hands on them and giving them the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is essentially, in this sense, a blessing. It was a blessing um, in their ministry, in uh, their lives as Christians. And be, people became so overwhelmed with the blessing coming from these uh, very well-known, very highly regarded leaders in the church that they were like, they were overwhelmed with emotion. And that's, that's most likely what we're reading about here when we're reading about this idea of this baptism, the laying on of hands, the baptism of the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've, you've met someone that you really admire, somebody, even somebody maybe in the church or somebody in the Christian faith who, who you really admire, you really look up to, you think they're like, they're like amazing. And, and imagine if that person was able to lay hands on you and they were able to pr- play a uh, pray a blessing over you and pray and say, uh, you know, God bless this person and their life and give them the power and the spirit. Uh, it would overwhelm you. And, and this is kind of like the, the, the sense of what, what happens here. And so as these guys come, Simon asks for something, right? It's so ridiculous, right? He says, uh, can I buy, you know, that right there? Like, can I, how much, how much for that? You know, how much for the ability to do that? Lay my hands on. And we read this and we're like, was this guy serious? Like, was this guy serious? And he was, he's totally serious. In fact, if you look up the name like Simon, there's a phrase, simony, and simony actually means to this day an unworthy buying and selling of ecclesiastical positions. So like, that's actually the name given in the church to when people would try to actually buy positions within the church. Uh, That's called simony, and that's because it's named still after him. You see, what he, what he does here, and it's so obvious, is that uh, Simon fundamentally misunderstands like, the, the way like, God and his economy work, the way that, the way that it even works, right? Um, it's, it's like walking up to a store in America, taking something and walking out, and someone being like, hey, you're stealing, and going, no, 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 I thought that's what this was. I come and I take and I leave. No, because you obviously don't understand the way our economy works. You don't understand the way that like, we do this thing, where we exchange money for what happens. He thinks that's how God's economy works, but it isn't. It's clear when you read Acts, when you read the New Testament and the Bible, it's clear to, to most all of us as we read this, uh, this book that, that the faith, it's, it's faith in God, right? It's, it's trust and faith in God. It's, it's surrendering yourself to God. It's stepping out in faith. It's, it's like 
continuing to surrender yourself to him, that leads to people experiencing like an increase in the spirit, an increase in power, right? More of the sort of the idea of the blessing of God, right? We can't buy God's blessing. We can't earn the spirit or power by doing certain physical things, even though we may believe that we can. That really that what we see in the Bible is pretty clear that the only thing that will like increase, like reliably increase the blessing, the presence of God, uh, the presence of the spirit, the power of the spirit is surrendering more of myself to him. Not even specific actions, because you can do a specific thing that seems hard and sacrificial, but maybe it's not sacrificial for you. Maybe, maybe your heart doesn't change at all in doing that. It is only through like stepping out in faith, continuing to depend on God, continuing to kind of like give over more of ourselves um, to Christ that we experience the spirit, that we experience the blessing of God. The apostles trusted God so much that they walked away from their livelihoods. They walked away from their jobs. They're continually putting themselves at risk. They're continually uh, like letting themselves be more teachable as well, right? What we see in Acts, we're about to see a big example of it, is that they have to confront their own prejudices, their own views on other cultures and races. They have to start to like change the way that they see other people as they keep following God because that's what it means to grow in the faith. They have to show, in, in a sense, that they're even more teachable than most of the other leaders that came before them. It's these things about them it's these things about them that, that led God to use them, to empower them, to ultimately give them authority before the eyes of the people. The way that they were used and empowered by God was they gave themselves over to God. And he used them, he empowered them. It wasn't because they paid money. It wasn't because they did difficult things. There wasn't a boot camp. And if you go through the obstacle course and you pay the money, then you get the certificate and God gives you his blessing. Even though that's what Simon honestly thinks. And we're like, okay, most obvious part of this, we can move on from that, right? No, I'm not so sure because most everyone that I've ever talked to who is a Christian would laugh at the idea that, that outwardly you can do things to impress God. They, they really would. They would say, oh, I know that it's not the things that I do. It's not the, the, the stuff that other people see that, 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 you know, uh, that, that give me rewards in God. That, that impress God, right? Uh, I, I know that it's not the outward manifestations of my faith that he rewards. Um, you know, it, it's not like I've satisfied some requirement in his favor. I mean, I get it, I know, I can't, I can't do, you know, that stuff, and that's not what God wants for me. But whereas almost every Christian I've ever talked to would totally admit, yeah, you can't just, you know, go on a missions trip and God will like reward you with faith. You can't just say I served in Sunday school and I led a small group and I went to church and I led worship and I evangelized to somebody. You can't just say, oh, look at the thing I did. Okay, God, give me your blessing. Give me your spirit. Give me more of your power in my life, right? Well, I mean, we know that that's not really how it works, right? We would, we would say that anytime anybody asks us. But even though most of the people that I've ever talked to who are Christians believe that, would say that, I also kind of feel like most of the people I've ever talked to don't totally believe that. Or, or maybe we need to be reminded of it a lot, is, is the case. 
because we, we actually do end up falling in these patterns and these traps again and again of thinking, you know, and, and, it, and it's obvious when we go through trial, right? When you go through trial and life starts to fall apart, what is one of the first things we think? We go, we go God, how could you let this happen to me of all people? I mean, after all the things I've done for you, right? After all the, the things I've said for you, after all the ways that I've served for you, God, don't you want someone like me to not have to go through this trial, this pain, this suffering, this difficulty, God? I mean, think about how faithful I've been to you. Well, okay, how do I know I've been faithful? Well, I mean, how long I've been attending church. I'm a leader in people's minds, right? I, I was willing to lead this person. I was willing to evangelize to that person. I, I pray. I read my Bible. I, I, I go on serving missions trips. I, I get up and I lead worship, you know, for other people. God, I do these things. Uh, this, uh, you know, I've done all these things for you. Why this? I mean, isn't, isn't it like true that, that those situations, they do kind of end up revealing some of why we do the things we do? It may not even be that we do those things, physical things, because we're trying to earn something. And yet, be, after we do those things, we kind of feel like, I mean, I probably earned something though, right? I mean, I probably scored some points. Almost no Christian I've ever talked to would say that they think doing these things will earn God's favor. But I still think most of us kind of think that they do. And the, the reason I say this is because what we do think that we can do to obtain God's favor and love could be done by a complete imposter, right? I mean, a person could walk into a church and they could, uh, they could say all the right things, they could attend all the right things, they could serve in the right ways, they could give money, they could go serve on a missions field, they could sing beautifully, they can raise their hands and close their eyes and they can do all of those things outwardly and yet not mean it inwardly, right? There's something else that has to happen. Simon's problem is such a weird one. He sees God's blessing and his gifts. He sees this authority that these guys have to do great things in his name. And he basically is saying like, God, don't you want, don't you want me, somebody with the reputation I have, to have the ability to do this thing? Don't you think you want to give me this gift? And he literally thinks you can pay money for it. He thinks the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit is something that if you pay for it, you can have it, and it can somehow improve your life. How does this even make sense to him? I mean, I honestly think that this is one of the biggest things when you read this passage, you go, how does this even make sense to Simon? Like, does this guy not know how this works? He has become a believer. He has been baptized. Yet, he thinks that, like, you can pay money, and you can be a leader in the church. You can be a minister of the gospel. But his, his mistake is based upon a presumption, and it's a presumption that isn't really all that crazy. His presumption is that, listen, God just wants the work to get done, right? He doesn't really care how it gets done. He doesn't really care who does it. In God's mind, the end justifies the means, right? Right? God wants the work done. He wants the gospel preached. He wants people to hear. And I'm somebody who can do an amazing job of it, thinks Simon. Simon thinks, I'm Simon the Magician. Check out my brand. Look at my webpage. I've already got this many followers. I've already got this many people who are, uh, who are, who are tracking my every move and, and buy into whatever I say to them. Don't you think God wants all those people hearing about him through me? Because they can. 
He thinks God just wants this stuff to get done. He'll take some money. He'll give me the ability. We're all winners in this thing. He really does think that the end justifies the means, that God cares more than anything about that. The response of the, uh, the apostles is really strong, right? Um, and he is, he is rebuked by Philip, or he is rebuked by Peter. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could attain the gift of God with money. He says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So the response to him is, first of all, they're, they're pointing out like exactly what's wrong in this guy's heart. They're saying, we're not gonna pull any punches here. Uh, the gall of bitterness and iniquity, um, th- there's two things that this gall of bitterness thing could refer to, and it may actually mean both. One is, uh, is envy. Uh, the gall of bitterness is the idea of like, uh, you are overwhelmed with a desire for something and it's not good and it's growing in you. Uh, th- this, this, this gall thing, it's like a, it's a bitter, uh, it, there's a plant that grows up inside of something and it's like a bitter tasting plant and, uh, and it spreads. And so they're, they're either saying, um, you've got this thing inside of you that's growing and it's bitter and it's gross and it's distasteful and we see it and we're like, ugh, 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 ugh gross. Um, and they're saying that's your desire for like the, the spirit of God is coming from this bitter place. So you're wanting something good, but it is coming out of such a messed up place in you that you need to understand that. And they're also saying like, and you have iniquity and iniquity is just straight up sin. They're like, what you want as good as it seems, as, as noble as it seems, as much as the end seems like it could justify the means, they're like, we're gonna call out exactly what we see, that this is sin. Is it possible that people can be motivated by selfish and evil things and still want something that's good? Well, if you ever do what these apostles do, if you ever proclaim the gospel and share it with other people, the goodness that comes in Jesus and the joy found in him, the hope found in him compared to the hopelessness that is uh, in life outside of him, then you probably have come across somebody who probably does want the things that God gives, that he offers, but, but not having anything to do with wanting God. In fact, for many, when you look at this passage, I know when I do, one of the first things I think of is like, have I sold the gospel this way to people? Have I, have I actually characterized it as something that, hey, this will make your life better. This will fix your problems. It's a good thing. And whatever it takes to get you into a new relationship with Jesus today, I'm willing to do it, right? Half off today, 0% APR, right? Uh, whatever it takes. Uh, I mean, you think about like these, these, uh, these, these things that, that, that we do and and the motivation behind it is totally off, and yet, and yet the thing itself, right? Like, I don't know why this is what comes to my head, and I'm sorry, it's been a crazy week maybe, and that's what it is, but I think about like sometimes um, you see people at like, like celebrities at movie premieres and stuff, and they like go on the red carpet or whatever, and they like sign people's autographs, right? And people are freaking out, they're like, oh, I love you, I love you, and they go and they sign their autograph, and they sign their face, and they sign their baby and stuff, 
And then you ever see where there's like a person and they have like 20 things for the person to sign and they're just like, here we go, here we go. And the guy like signs it and he goes, here you go. The guy signs it, here you go, signs it. And these people, they're, they're, they're literally there for one reason only, to make money, right? They're taking this person's signature and they're putting this thing that they signed on eBay or something and they're selling it and making money, right? And, uh, and sometimes you'll see these people, these celebrities like lose it, be like, get out of here, I'm not gonna sign these things for you, you know? And sometimes they try to be nice and they just try to do it because they're like, hey, if they can make you some money, whatever, I don't care, right? But it's like doing, doing this thing that is supposed to say to the person like, hey, I'm a huge fan of yours and I really think this is great and valuable and oh my gosh, I'm never gonna wash this baby's face off or something, right? That's like the right motivation and the wrong one is sign this, sign this, sign this, thanks, I'm gonna go make some money, right? Uh, that, that, that you can actually be doing something that is supposed to be about one thing and do it for the completely other reason and it actually does kind of kill the purpose of the whole thing. I mean, I, I think there's like a million examples of this. There's, there's so many examples and probably every single one of them is better than the one I just gave. But that's what you get on a Wednesday, right? It's better than nothing, as we say. Something's better than nothing. So they say to him, you have this bitterness and this iniquity inside of you, Simon. Even though you want something that seems good and you see the value in it, you see there's power in it and it's gonna change lives, especially yours, you want it for the wrong reasons. And so they call him out for his sin. And then they kind of tell him, if you don't repent, then bad things are gonna happen to you because of what's going on in your heart. So their response to him is the part that really can be kind of scary for some of us. They say to him, they say to him in verse 21, they say, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Let me tell you why that is something that should have us, well, I wanna take a second and talk about this because I think it's really important and it's really easy to get it wrong. Not because it's complicated in the Bible, but because our own like thinking can really mess this up. So when I hear about Simon basically wanting something good, but for the wrong reasons, I honestly, one of my first thoughts is, I mean, who, who does have like perfect intentions, right? I mean, who really wants God? Who really wants Jesus? Who really wants faith with 100% pure motives? Now, you may be hearing that thinking, well, I do. I mean, Pastor Ed, you're a terrible guy. In fact, why are you even a pastor if that's how you feel? I'll tell you why. Because one of the things that I've realized in my life as I've, as I've grown is that uh, times when I thought my intentions were totally pure, they weren't. I go, oh, wait a second. I really wanted that or I kind of saw this benefit. And, and the way I learned that is when I realize that I'm not gonna get that thing I thought and I have to reevaluate right? Uh, there was a point when I thought that being a pastor was going to make my life easier and better and more joyful and more rewarding in every way. I just thought it would be the best. It'd be way better than any other thing I could do. And then there were points when it was like the hardest thing to do. Or telling people what God says in his word didn't make me look better in their eyes because maybe there was a season where that happened. I was like, oh, people seem to like me when I talk about the Bible. That's good. Then there might be a season where I talk about the Bible, people don't like me. And I go, oh, so this seems to happen too, right? shoot, well, what was my motivation there? Was my motivation that people would like me, right? There have even been times in the church and ministry where I've gone, wait a second, have I, have I been telling people inadvertently that, that they, should do, they should pursue this thing, a relationship with Christ, because it will make their life better? 
Or have I been telling them, or am I telling them they should do that for another reason? And what made me wonder that is when person after person would seem to kind of assume that it makes their life better and would kind of wonder why it wasn't if that didn't happen, right? Why is God letting this thing happen to me? Why is he letting this thing happen to me? Uh, and so as those things happen, I say to myself, wait a second, maybe my motivation wasn't as pure as I thought it was, right? Maybe I just wanted people to like me or look at me. Maybe I thought I was like, Helping the world be a better place and this had more to do with that, like pragmatically good living, than maybe even just a love for Jesus or a love for God, right? Uh, I think what matters here is, you know, we ask ourselves, is we go like, I mean, who, who, who has like the perfect motivation? Who has a pure motivation? I mean, is it really so crazy what Simon's doing, right? I mean, I, I totally ask that and I think that. And I think a lot of people do. And the scary part is what they're saying to him. In fact, we, we, we probably maybe even know of people who are like this. There may be a, they might be a Christian. They might be very well known. They might be very well respected. They might be very, things might be very successful in their life or in their ministry or in their church. And yet we go, ah, oh, man, it seems kind of like all of that stuff is making them look better, and it makes me wonder like what, the, what their motive is, right? I'm sure you never thought of that, right? So, I always, try to keep, I always try to make just enough people unhappy that no one ever thinks that about me, and I do a really good job of it. Um, so, you think that, and you go, but no one's, no one's motives are perfect, right? And then you read what the apostles say to Simon here. And what they say to him is, he says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. What he's saying to him is he's saying, because your heart is not right, it's not like at the end you're gonna, you're gonna get something, you know? Like, okay, you can, have, you, can have, uh, you can have a part of the blessing of what God's doing. You would get more if your motives were more pure, but they're not, so you'll have to settle for not as much, but still some. No, he says, you get neither part or lot, because your heart is impure in seeking after it. I mean, that's scary. Because they are saying to him, they are, they are condemning his motives as being selfish, and they're saying, because your motives are selfish, you will get nothing. So what do you do with that, right? Do you look at that and you go, oh, awesome. Well, then um, I guess... I guess I'll just be afraid my whole life that if my motives aren't 100% pure, that I'm gonna, what, not go to heaven? That God's not gonna, like, love me? That I'm gonna know that he's never gonna bless the things that I'm doing or what's happening? No, I don't think that, in fact, I know that we're not supposed to read this and come away with that. What we're supposed to do is read this and come away with going, what are my motives? What are my motives? And if I'm not sure what they are, if I'm not sure if what I really want is for this to just make my life better, to just, to just give me some kind of a reward, for this to increase my brand and my name, then like, I probably want to err on the side of, I need to get that worked out. I need to figure that out. But what I shouldn't do is just go to bed on that thought and be like, well, God's a gracious God. He's a good God. This is a big issue in the faith, right? Cheap grace, right? The idea of, you know, oh, God forgives. God's okay with it. He knows none of us are perfect. He's got a pretty low standard, right? No. What we're supposed to do is at the end of the day go, well, he does care about your heart. 
He does care about your motives. And so I need to go back to that. And I need to talk to him about that. And I need to understand what's going on within myself in that way. And one of the most dangerous things that we can do is compare ourselves to other people. We go, well, their motives aren't that great probably, so mine don't have to be either. And that is death. That is the death of spiritual life. Simon the magician had professed his faith, he had been baptized, but when his heart is revealed, it's clear that he isn't sincere. He wants something else, and this is a way to get it. Guys, this is, this is true of many. That um, there are times, uh, there, there, are, there are times in, in our society, in our culture, in life, when no matter how much we like to pretend like being a Christian is a really hard thing. There's also an aspect of the Christian faith that we have recognized that it's sort of a part of the package, the ideal package, right? Somebody who loves God and loves America, somebody who trusts in Jesus and goes to church once in a while, and you know, I mean, nobody really likes the idea of an atheist. That's kind of scary and grumpy sounding, right? The idea that faith can be added to a life and it will only make that life better. I think that's, that's the understanding that maybe even most Americans have. Faith is like, a, it's like an add-on to some product that you buy and it automatically makes it better, right? It's like going from VCR to VCR plus and all of a sudden it's better. Gosh, what a great reference. This says something about the sort of celebrity Christian culture that we sometimes see that lifts up people who are famous and well-known, and these people are also Christians. We assume that God's image is kind of hurting, and so we think God's image needs all the help it can get. God could use a couple of these Christian celebrities, a couple of these famous Simon the Magician. We think we need a little bit more than, okay, Kirk Cameron's getting a little old. You know, Tim Tebow, he was good, but now he's kind of starting to fade a little bit, you know. Then we find out we get Chip and Joanna Gaines. That's pretty good. We get them in the draft. They're good. They're really good. They've, they've, given, they've, they've, they've given shiplap, right? Look at this. This is their, their legacy. See, very spiritual, very holy. You know, a whole new meaning. We've got the Duck, Di- we've got the duck Dynasty guys, right? We get, we've, got some, we've got some people who are, are like, it's agreed upon in our country, for the most part, it's agreed upon that they are, that they're pretty great. You know, they're, they're, they're just pretty great people. And look, they're Christians, and they're not ashamed of it. And we think that's something God wants. That's something that really helps out with his name. We'll take them. But then you see the dark side of that. In the last year, Joshua Harris, the author of this very well-known book, When I Was, when I was Younger, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and, uh, and Jonathan Steingard, the lead singer of this Christian band, Hawk Nelson, they both came out in the last year and said that they don't believe in God anymore. They don't believe in God, that they're, that they're atheists or agnostic. And one of the things they cite as why they don't believe is this sort of feeling of being disenfranchised and disillusioned because of like the, the way that being a Christian and being beloved by others was mixed together. They, they saw some of their own false motivations, but they also saw, and this is key, they saw how rewarding it could be for them to be a Christian, to be a part of this sort of celebrity Christian culture. Simon is saying, hey guys, listen, it doesn't matter why I want it, okay? Let's not worry about why I want it. 
Don't you want to build on this reputation that I have so that I can spread the word? Do you have any idea what you could be building on here with this brand that I've developed? And apparently they don't. Because maybe it's better to have a smaller platform and to have the focus actually be on God rather than a bigger platform where people will always walk away and go, I really like that person. I love that they love God too. Don't you love that? I know, I love that too. I really think that's great. I love that person, right? That instead of walking away and saying, man, they're so great, man, they're so awesome, and they're a Christian, I like that too, that you would walk away and say, uh, God's name is bigger in my mind. Uh, God's holiness is bigger in my mind. It's not necessarily them that's bigger, their name that's grown in my mind. Simon honestly thinks that this is a win-win. If I give you money, you'll give me the spirit. And what he wants is he wants the ability that the apostles have. So he wants the ability to be an apostle. He doesn't just want the power to do magic. He wants the ability to be an apostle so that he could go and he could actually make his own disciples. He can spread the gospel himself and build on this thing. And he thinks, why wouldn't God want that? Why wouldn't God want to give me that for a little bit of cash, right? Because ultimately, that's not what God is interested in using. It is so easy to see, it's so easy to mix up what a life with God can bring us. I think that, I know personally that a life with God brings such tremendous uh, power and transformation, that it brings such tremendous joy and fulfillment. I know that these things happen in the life of of a person who loves God and follows him, but I also know that these things are not alone reasons to follow God, to say, I want to have a lot of joy. I want to have a better life. I want to be a better person. I want to complete the package, and this is the way that I do it. And none experience this power, this transformation more than the leaders of the church because we see it in people's lives again and again and again. And so it's easy for us to mistake the life of God as one that simply gets us closer to the life that we already want. Because, you know, that would be pretty good, right? It's so hard to have any idea at all how to even talk to somebody about Jesus, without wanting to go into some kind of a sales pitch about how much better your life can be without him, than without him, right? It's hard to think of it that way, to think like, you know, uh, of any way to tell someone about, about God other than to say, oh my gosh, your life will be so much better, you'll see. You'll have so much hope, you'll see. You'll have so much joy, you'll see. But like we've talked about again and again, as much as we would like to think that it is the Uh, the happiness in our life that makes people look at us, the success that makes people look at us and go, man, I want what you have. That's not actually what happens. That it's actually when our lives fall apart and we don't fall apart. That's actually the time that people the most will take notice and say, well, there's something holding you together that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I would fall apart. The message of the gospel is not one that we share with people because it will make their life better. 
The message of the gospel is not one that we share with people because it will make their life better. It's one that we share because it is true and because it does something much better than make our life better. It's because it redefines what life even is. And that's not a technicality. It redefines what joy is. It redefines what love is. It redefines what life is. And more than anything else, it redefines what my identity is. And it changes me from being a person who has to find ways to distinguish myself, to improve myself, to, to, uh, to develop uh, this version of who I am to make something out of myself, which, huh, doesn't that kind of imply that I'm nothing? Sort of. Because if I'm spending my life making something of myself, then I guess that means that until I get there, I'm nothing. And I think that describes a lot of people. I think that describes a lot of us. This, this feeling of, uh, well, I haven't done it yet. I'm not something yet. It, it redefines what my identity is. And it changes me from being somebody who is on my own, isolated, individual, obsessed with, with making myself into something that's actually worth anything from our worth being tied up to how we can, uh, you know, rise above others and stand out to an identity that says we are a part of a larger community and that collectively we are already worth more than our egos can ever comprehend. The gospel transforms our life. Simon wanted the power of God to make him better as Simon the magician. And that was all he was interested in. And what they said to him was, you should repent. Because even though you see good in this and you see the power of God in this and even though you want it, it's for all the wrong reasons. And the last thing that we want is someone like you going around talking about Jesus. You know, last week at the family meeting, we kind of celebrated Pastor Dave and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to when we can actually have a huge party for Pastor Dave, but we celebrated him and, um, and as we did that, you know, I've been thinking so much about Pastor Dave and, and it was so like, I, one of the things I, think, I like to think about with Pastor Dave, uh, one of the things I like to think about Pastor Dave, as I just sit there sometimes and think about him, um, believe me, I do that more than you think, is I, um, I not in a creepy way, I, I like to think about in the 33 years that he's been in ministry, how many people he's impacted, how many people that his, his efforts at creating a worshipful place week after week, how many people have connected with God because of that, right? I mean, to go out in the parking lot last week and to, and to see the choir out there, everybody distanced apart with masks on and signs and stuff and wanting to do anything they can to show, Pastor Dave, you know, it's meant so much to us what you've done with your life, devoting your life to helping us worship God more. Just to think about all of the people that, that aren't standing out there, right? All of you, right, who, who weren't there but are, like, affected by it. And I say that because, especially when it comes to music, especially when it comes to artistic endeavors, um, and, and if you are a musical person, you know exactly 
what this is like. You know exactly how it feels, right? To be good at something creatively, to have other people tell you you're good at that thing creatively. And, and the desire that gives you to want to use that thing to distinguish yourself, right? To make your own name great, to, to, to be fulfilled yourself, to go, uh, everybody loves this about me, and so what can I do to uh, enhance my reputation, my name, my brand in the world? And so for someone to do what Pastor Dave has done, to say, I'm gonna dedicate my whole life, my whole adult life to helping people worship God. That it's not glorious. Um, I'm sure there are albums with him on there, but I haven't yet come across a Day of the Root album. Believe me, if I do, you will all have a chance to buy it because it will be amazing. But I haven't come across one yet. And I think that there is a... There's a temptation for people who are creative that many of us who are not creative uh, have a hard time understanding. And it's, it's this pull. Do I want to use the church and God and Jesus and the Bible and all of this cosmic stuff to make my brand better, to make myself better, to know that I did something huge? Or if I'm Pastor Dave, am I standing out in the parking lot of the church that I started at 33 years ago uh, in, that's, that's cracked and potholed and falling apart because we are having a really hard time actually getting that repaid, but we're going to get there. And I'm standing out here and I've dedicated my whole life and all my musical talents and all my musical gifts and abilities to uh, having people with signs and masks on saying, thanks a lot, we love you. That might be kind of underwhelming if you're a creative person and you want your name to be known. Unless... The reason that you do what you do is not because of you and your name and your reputation. It's not because of your brand. It's because you want God's name to be proclaimed. I mean, I, have, I learned about 30 seconds into being a part of this church why everyone loves Pastor Dave. And it actually doesn't have anything to do with music. It has to do with his love for God and how sincere he is with other people. And I believe that it's because of that. That is the thing that God uses the most. I think, honestly, in our culture today, in our world today, there is nothing harder for so many of us than to let go of our brand. Than to say, it doesn't matter what I want the world to see me as. It doesn't matter the reputation that I gain but instead to say, I want God to be bigger. And I want him because life is found in him, not because he's a tool to get the things that I want on a bigger scale. That is a really hard thing for a lot of us. And I don't think any of us have perfectly pure motives. But I think when we look at what happened with, with Simon the Magician, we have to ask ourselves, what are my motives? And what do I expect from this? What I love about this passage is that it is a two-parter, really, this story. This week we look at Simon and an example of an abuse of the Spirit. Somebody wanting the Spirit to give them their best life now. Uh, what we see next week is how it looks to really use the Spirit the right way. Uh, so as we worship and as we reflect on this, uh, I just want to pray and I want to ask that God would give us the ability to think about this very thing, our motives. Would you guys pray with me? God, you are so good and we... Um, I pray that you would help us to look 
inwardly at our own motives and our own desires and our own hearts at what it is that we want out of this and out of you and expect out of you, but that we would also understand that um, you look upon us with grace, you love us as your children, and you don't want us to live in fear that we aren't good enough for you and our motives. So I, that's a hard balance to find, God, and um, it's different for each one of us. So I just pray that as we spend some time thinking about this and reflecting um, with this music, Lord, that you, would, that you would give us a clear sense, God. Is there a way that, 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 that our own image is, is getting in the way of us being able to actually truly be transformed and have joy, God? Father, we're so grateful for the life that you give us in Christ. It's in your name that we pray, amen.